day. Uh, could you give me a wave if you've ever crashed a party? Is that three people? The rest of you are all wonderful, lovely people. Wow, I expected more guilt in the room than that. <laughs> I made it to one party this year, and it was pre-Omicron, and I've been lateral flowed and stuff, so you're all safe. But I went to one party, and it was a party that I didn't really belong at, but I went as Rachel's plus one. I went to the running group party, which was quite good. Um, but I did feel a little bit out of place, and there's a few reasons for that. One is that I've got um, a very fancy pair of trainers that I bought that I've never run in, maybe once. I've got running shorts, I've got a jacket, I've got all the stuff, but I don't do running. And as I kind of sat there around the table, I thought, this is really interesting. They're all going to be talking about their, how far they've run and stuff. But about 30% of people I met that night don't do any running at all, <laughs> which made me feel a bit better about myself. People who used to run and stopped, people who really like parties, and this was another party. But then also, you got the other end of the spectrum. You got the people who were like doing ultra marathons. Do you know what that is? You do like a marathon and then you do some more. And if you're from up here, apparently you can do an ultra hard more marathon, which is like more and a bit more as well. And so you have that whole kind of range. But the thing that I loved about the evening was the honesty. Nobody pretended they were a marathon runner when really they were around Preston Park runner. Nobody kind of pretended to be more than they were, more than they wanted to be. But there were some people that I met who'd been on the couch to 5K and then had gone from couch to 5K to 15K. And what I loved was as they said, we want to go further and faster and better, other people said, well, you're the people that we're going to get around and support you and come up with a plan and help you to do that. And I wanted to, um, to bring that to you really because I was challenged a little while ago by a youth worker. Uh, youth workers often uh, speak with great clarity. And, uh, and this youth worker said to me, he said, as I look at churches, we seem to have two kinds of Christians in church. We have the ones where, next one please, we have the one where the light kind of burns quite small, where they're kind of going for it a bit, but not really that much. Kevin, can we have one more? Is that possible? Don't worry if not. And then we have the other Christians who are absolutely going through it, and it's changed their lives and transformed them. And why have we got these two? And I thought, ouch, first of all, where am I at between these two, the little light and the Christians really going for it? But it also made me kind of question that and think, well, that's really interesting. I don't want to be like the running club where some people run and some people don't, or run a little bit. We want to be a church where everyone is really going for it for Jesus. And so I want to kick us off with two questions. One back, please, Kevin. It's better than a clicker, isn't it? So here are the two questions. First of all, what would it look like to be really going for it for Jesus? And is that what we aspire to? So that's the first question. And if I'm really honest, I never intend to be a good runner. I don't care. I know it's sad, but I don't really care. Yesterday, I convinced myself I was going to go on like a diet in the new year. And then this morning, as I ate toffee out of the box, I thought, don't care about that either. Like there's a range of stuff where I think, Do you know, I can tell myself I care, but I actually don't. <laughs> but there's other things where I aspire to be really good. And I aspire to move forwards. 
And that's really the first question. What do we aspire to as Christians? When we think about one day, or maybe even this year, my life of faith is going to look like that, what do we hope for? How big are our aspirations? The second thing is, what will God's blessing look like? Because there's two halves to it, aren't there? Like, no one can really go for it with God unless God is also blessing and doing his bit and working through them. So we've got two halves that I'd like us to think a little bit about. And as we went into 2022, you might think, well, I'm not going to have a dry January, but I might have a Jesus January. I might try and raise the bar a little bit and we'll see how we get on. Our first um, reading today came from the book of Numbers, and it's a beautiful bit, isn't it? That blessing of God over us, turning his face towards us. But it comes just after an interesting bit that I hadn't really taken full account of before. And that was where people would promise certain vows. They would become Nazarites. Now, you might have heard of that phrase before, because Samson and Samuel and perhaps John the Baptist took vows to become Nazarites. And you could take it for a month or a year or somewhere in the middle or for your whole life. And the whole purpose of it was that you would promise to raise the bar in terms of your holiness, getting rid of the stuff that God doesn't like out of your life, and raise the bar in terms of pursuing God for yourself. And as a marker of that, you would then grow your hair. I know I feel a bit handicapped in that too. But you would then grow your hair, and that was a symbol that you weren't a priest. And the point of that was that the only people who could not be a Nazarite were the priests, because this was for everybody. It was a symbol, a sign, that one day the people of God would all be a nation of priests, a holy nation, a people that all belonged to God and could know him for themselves. And so the only people who could not make the promise were the priests. But anyone else, man, woman, rich, poor, whoever, could choose to stand and to make the promise and say, God, I want to raise the bar with you. And they would make those really public promises about how they were going to pursue God for themselves. And then straight after this bit about the Nazarites comes God's blessing. And I think it's not really a surprise that when the people went, yes, we're in, we're for this, God then blesses and says, this is what I'm going to bless you with. This was the blessing that was read over the people every morning by the priests in the temple and read over them in the synagogues later in the day. And if we could have that, please. Uh, Kevin, that was the other slide. So it goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. In other words, that he would protect you and look after you and do good to you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, the opposite of him hiding his face from you, that you would know that God is looking to you, that he would make it easier for you to find him, and it would be obvious in your life that God is smiling over you. And I wonder if perhaps this year, that when good things happen, you might just say, well, actually, maybe that's God's face towards me. When you pray, be aware God is not playing hide and seek, but is showing you his face is looking to you. May he be gracious to you, not just merciful, not just punishing us, not just forgiving us for the things that we do wrong, but going beyond that and showing us kindness and generosity. That's what the gracious bit means. 
May he lift his countenance upon you. Would we be aware of his guidance in our lives? Would he give us his peace by showing us his face? At that point, the best people could hope for was we tried to obey the law, and then when we messed up, we would do a sacrifice so God would forgive us. But actually, by the time we've got Jesus, he is our peace. That is our gift, that we are at peace with God, and we can have peace in our hearts too. The final part of this blessing, I love this, he would put his name on us. And perhaps if you've seen Toy Story like me, that might ring some bells, because there's this wonderful bit in it where um, Woody, who's the cowboy, is unsure about who he is. He's one of the toys who's come to life, and he belongs to a little boy called Andy. And he looks on the bottom of his foot, and he sees Andy's written his name on the bottom of his foot. I love that Jesus has written his name on you, that you belong to him, that he's given you his name, that you belong to his family. So what would the blessing of God look like in your life this year? What would it look like to be more aware of God's blessing? What would it look like to have his face turned towards you, to have his peace, to be aware of his name written on you with pride. This would be a great year to be aware of that, aware of God's blessing on you. One part then, of course, of this is being turned to God and having his blessing. But the other half is the half that's a little bit more up to us. And if you turn to, Rome, uh, to Hebrews 12, you'd see some of how that is described. Some of the Christians being written to were tired are any of you tired? A few of you look tired. Well, don't look tired. You are tired. Sorry, none of you look tired. You all look wonderful this morning. <laughs> but some of them were tired. They'd had enough. Some of them had run out of steam. Some of them had grown faint-hearted. Faint Verse 12 describes some of them as lame. They were tired and fed up and couldn't walk properly. A bit like me after about a kilometer. But to them, the writer of Hebrews says, don't give up. Keep going. If you feel lame like you can't walk, make sure you aren't letting things get into your life that will trip you up. And the point was that as we then walk, even though we feel a bit lame, a bit weak, even though perhaps there's things in our lives that have gone wrong, perhaps even sin, that God would start to heal us as we walk. But if we allow more things to get in the way and be on our path, then we're likely to trip up. And Hebrews uses the analogy of being dislocated, that the limping comes first. But allow God to heal you. Don't let stuff get in the way, or you might end up dislocating a limb, being further out of sync with how you're called to be as a Christian. There are two things in this passage that we're called to cut out. The first is sin cutting out the things that God doesn't like. And perhaps even this morning that God is speaking to you and saying, do you know there's that thing that I'm not really a fan of in your life? With me, it's my Amazon list. I don't think God likes it because I never finish the list. I buy another thing and then I put another thing on the list. And I think God sometimes says, where's your heart in all of this? Perhaps there's something for you too. But the other thing is a weight, something that we're carrying 
that we're not meant to carry. And I don't know if you've got things in your life that you think, I'm carrying something that's holding me back in my relationship with God. It's not sin, but it's in the way. For us in our life, in our family, that's busyness, that we have too much going on. And we need to get rid of some of that stuff so that then we can do what God calls us to do. But perhaps for others of us, it's something else. The writer encourages us then, as we walk, be aware of the witnesses who have gone before us. At the moment in the world, there are about three billion Christians. And if you think about all the ones that have gone before us, Hebrews says, they are cheering us on. I don't know what they'd say to you this morning. Can you imagine them saying your name? And when you get up and you pray in the morning, they're like, yes, he or she has done it. This Christmas, I did a lot of chickening out of praying for people. I kept coming across people who wanted, or who didn't want actually, but who needed prayer. And I would find myself going, oh, I think I'll just duck this one until a voice from beside me went, I'll pray for you. And that was Rachel. And I thought, that's great. And so I was encouraging her going, brilliant. I'm glad that you're doing the stuff that I've wimped out of here. But Hebrews says there's a whole crowd in heaven who are cheering us on, who are wanting the best for us, who are for us. And among them is Jesus, the author, the one who wrote the plan for this race of faith. In my wife's previous running club, there was a bloke who kept popping out of the woodwork and he would write a plan, a training plan for her. How should the race go? How should you run this bit? What would the plan beforehand be? Jesus has done that for us. The Bible is like our training plan, our encouragement. And in the midst of that, Jesus, our pioneer, the one who suffered and yet endured. I love the part in this chapter where it says he endured for the joy set before him. Jesus knew what the joy of heaven was like. He'd been there, but we haven't. But just take a moment to think. What is the joy that's set before you? One day you will meet God face to face. One day you'll be with him. There is an incredible joy set before you. Allow that to be that fuel that helps to motivate you, even when you feel tired, even when you feel like you've had enough. The picture then in this passage is like a runner who endures, not in a passive way, but they keep going even when they feel that they can't. There is, though, if you look at the passage, a word that comes up nine times that I don't like. And you might have spotted it too. It is the word discipline. It's not a word that I like very much. Maybe a lot of us don't really like it either. And it comes up nine times in 17 verses. I wonder what's your view of God and does he discipline you? It says in here that if we are his children, he does. But I wonder, what does that look like? It doesn't just look like feeling rubbish about yourself. Like I don't think God ever turns up and goes, you suck. He doesn't do that. He's not like that. But he might well say that thing in your life, I'd love you to raise the bar. I'd love you to become that Christian that I've called you to be. I'd love a little bit more time with you. I imagine him as that sort of coach that says, raise the bar a bit. And let's see what we can do together. So I wonder then, what does it look like 
to be the Christian who's on fire for Jesus with the big flame as opposed to the little pilot light. I'll give you a few examples. Well, it could look like Oliver Cromwell. He and the Puritans were so worried about sin, they banned all sorts of things. In 1649, they banned Christmas. Did you know that? They banned feasting, singing, dancing, and celebrations. And I love that five years later, he was so unsure it had worked that he sent the police out into the markets. Do you know what they were spotting? Christmas food. Making sure no one was buying their Christmas dinners early and having them in secret. So he sent them out to the grocery stalls to make sure it didn't happen. They avoided sin, but there wasn't much joy in it. It doesn't sound much like Jesus, does it? Another example, perhaps in 1739 at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit fell on three people, two brothers and a friend. Who are they? Oh, Wesley's good. We're on it today, aren't we? John Wesley writes that many at the meeting, including himself, cried out in exceeding joy, and many fell to the ground. If you look at Wesley's picture ever, it doesn't have a smile. But I love that he had exceeding joy, and that drove him out. So much so that he rode 125,000 miles preaching the gospel. His brother Charles Wesley wrote 6,000 hymns, and George Whitfield, their friend, went across to America and started the Great Awakening, preaching 18,000 times in public. I love that that joy is what fueled them. And perhaps for us, that might be something for us too. What does it look like to be on fire for Jesus, really charged up? It looks like knowing his joy. The last one is a little bit more local, and you might even know her. A lady called Kath Dean, who's at St. Oswald's Church in Grove Hill in Middlesbrough. And she's brilliant. I was chatting with her just before Christmas. She runs the Genesis Project, and she lives on quite a difficult sort of bit of Middlesbrough. And she tells a story about how she met a family who were washing their children's hair with washing up liquid because they had no money for shampoo. And she gradually looked at her area and thought, this needs to change. And so she started by growing fruit and veg. Then she got other people involved and started some debt counseling, providing toiletries, help for refugees, support for people who were going through domestic violence. And just before Christmas, she baptized 12 people who were new to faith. They've had a new congregation start, I think it's on a Thursday night, off the back of that. Just the thing that she felt she couldn't do, was too tired to do, but God gave her the energy for it, cheered her on, and saw that change. I wonder what it would look like for us to have the gas turned up. Some things are always common to people who live in that way. A life of prayer, a love of God and his word, a life avoiding sin and the things that get in the way and weigh us down. A relationships with other Christians that are close, where they challenge each other and encourage you. A deep and inner joy coming from Jesus. And an understanding that God is always doing more than we are doing. And he longs to bless and to turn his face towards us. Now, perhaps for some of you this morning, you think, do you know, 2021, I was living the life of faith that I always wanted to. I've always wanted to sort out my prayer life. I've always wanted to step out a bit more. I've always wanted to bring my faith into my workplace. In which case, be encouraged. That's great. 
You are being cheered on, and God is in the midst of it. But perhaps you're not in that place, and you think, you know what, the light is burning far smaller than it should be. I'm not sure I'm fully on fire in the way that I should be. I'm not sure that I'm fully living in God's blessing and him using me. In which case, this might be a year to be like the Nazarites, not to grow your hair, but to say, I'm going to go for it, at least for January, and then see how it goes. Perhaps join a life group, perhaps um, find a prayer triplet, perhaps do something else. But running by yourself is difficult. We need other people to help us with that. It could be that being baptized is part of that. And on the 3rd of April, we're having a baptism service where we're going to take the pool out and see if the bubbles work. Not really. <laughs> but, but we're going to take the pool out and we're going to baptize some people to show that's the start of their Christian faith. I remember the turning point for me was a few years ago, I was talking to someone about my spiritual life and I, they said, how's it all going? And I said, well, this is what my spiritual life looks like. And it wasn't wonderful. And they said, well, you said that last year. And I thought, oh, that's rubbish. I've had a year and not done anything about it. And I thought in that moment, I will not say this again next year. <laughs> next year, I'm going to have done the things that will have made the difference, that will have moved me forwards. And I hope perhaps the same is true for each of us, that we want to be a church where all of us are seeing God's blessing on our lives. We're getting rid of the stuff that gets in the way and we're pursuing God and seeing what he will do. So let's just take a little bit of time and give us a bit of time for quiet and a bit of time to ask God, what's he saying to you? And then lead us in a few prayers. So let's just take a few moments. Father, for some of us, we've had a great year. You felt close. We've been going for it. We've got rid of stuff out of the way that was stopping us pursuing you. We've been aware of your blessing on us, aware of what you're doing through us. And God, we just want to say thank you. We thank you that we are being cheered on from the heavenlies. We pray that you would continue to keep us on track. You continue to open our eyes to all that you are doing, and we thank you for all that you have been doing, Lord. And Lord, for those of us where the flame is not burning brightly, Lord, we ask that, again, you'd make us aware of your face turned towards us, your name written on our lives. Pray, Father, that we'd be aware of your blessing. And Lord, we commit to do our part to get the stuff out of the way that is sinful or weighing us down. We commit, Father, to pursuing you and we pray that you'd make us so hungry for you 
that we would grow. Lord, don't let this year be a rerun of another year, but let it be a year when we make break new ground, where our relationship with you moves forwards, where we see you at work. So just as we wait in silence for a minute, just take a bit of time to ask God, what's the next thing for you? What would he want you to do off the back of this? It's not about busyness. Father, raise us up. Make us the church that you want us to be. Raise us to be the sons and daughters that you want us to be, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you.